0: The Stranger Things podcast, season two, episode twenty-one: The movies that inspired Stranger Things, Firestarter. These two folks are
1: wanted for questioning. Nothing more. I don't care if they're wanted for assassinating the president. Show me a warrant to get the hell off my land. We don't need a warrant. You do unless I woke up in Russia this morning.
0: Please don't make me do anything.
2: doing
1: can't you feel it
0: Hello and welcome to the Stranger Things podcast, a fan podcast dedicated to the Netflix original series
2: Stranger Things. I'm Daryl. And I'm Maddie.
0: And joining us this month as we continue our look through the movies that influenced and uh, inspired Stranger Things, we have Beth joining us. Welcome, Beth.
3: Hey, guys. How's it going?
0: Doing great. Yeah. Thank you for joining us this month.
3: Oh, you bet. This is so exciting. Uh, When you guys were having other listeners on... I was ready. I was like, oh, I got to
0: do this. This is too much fun. That's cool. You know, I was just, we were chatting a little bit before I hit the record button and I was sharing with Beth that I was a little bit nervous. I was beginning to wonder if we were going to get a volunteer for this month because it was getting really late in the month and uh, you came in and raised your hand and, and volunteered. So I'm really glad to have you um, I, I love getting listeners on the show and getting your perspective. And you're someone who's seen the movie, uh, more times than either Addie or I, probably the two of us put together. So it seems like a great fit to have you on this month.
3: Oh, good. I'm so glad.
0: So tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, anything you want to share about, uh, your, your personal life, uh, or your the things that you're interested in on TV, your job, anything else, any, or anything at all that you feel comfortable sharing with us. How, how Tell us so we can get to know you a little bit.
3: All right. Um, I am an elementary school art teacher. Uh, So instead of having one class of like 25 kids, I have 386 kids that I'm in charge of. Wow! And so uh, thank goodness we don't do grading because that would be (laughs) horrific. (laughs) But I love, love, love my job. It's a real small town school, but uh, being the art teacher is so much fun and rewarding. And my main fandom, I guess you could say, is uh, Star Wars. Um, I listen to a lot of Star Wars podcasts, so I enjoy that. And then as far as Stranger Things, you guys are like it. I don't listen to anybody but you guys.
0: Cool. Well, that's all you need. I mean, once you find us, I mean, that's there's no other need for any other Stranger Things podcast. <laughs> yeah, <We> just... exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've got Eddie.
3: <laughs> right, right.
0: <laughs> nice. So which is your favorite Star Wars movie?
3: my gosh um that is a hard question i want to say um revenge of the sith probably which is the number three Mm -hmm. episode that's my wife's favorite Um, one really Mm -hmm. yeah i like that because the the downfall of anakin into Mm -hmm. darth vader is kind of like the most interesting part of the story although luke being my favorite character so uh anyway i really really enjoy star wars
0: awesome well, cool. It's nice to have another geek on the uh, on the podcast. Although I I doubt there are any listeners out there that wouldn't classify themselves as geeks because that's kind of what we do. But anyway, yeah, great great to have you on.
2: Good thing I'm not a listener.
0: <laughs> You're a geek. You may not admit it though. <laughs> All right, let's get into the episode this month. We are talking about Firestarter, which was from 1984. We'll get some details about that momentarily, but let's get it kicked off with some news. Well, we've got some exciting news this month. Maybe the most exciting piece is the, is the one that Addie's going to be reading next, but let's get it kicked off with this piece of news. This is a headline that made me think it was going to give me one type of information, and when I started reading it, it gave me a completely different type of information, and I loved it. So here's the headline, 11 Stranger Things fan films ranked. Now, the reason I thought it was going to give me one piece of information is because I didn't read the word fan. So <laughs> it's important to read. I, th- I, I read it the first time. as 11 Stranger Things films ranked. And I thought, oh, this is going to rank, you know, Aliens and Ghostbusters. It's kind of the thing that we've been doing. And then I clicked on it and realized I had misread the title. It's from Sci-Fi Wire, and it says, The fervor over Netflix's sci-fi horror sensation Stranger Things shows no sign of abating as we begin the long countdown to its third season, uh, which Addie will talk about momentarily. But before we engage in dissecting every mysterious clue and viral mystery surrounding the insanely popular show, let's back up and turn to the creative world of fan films to satiate ourselves until this summer eventually arrives. No ego, frozen waffles required. Amateur shorts displaying ingenuity and passion on a cardboard and popsicle stick budget are the no-frills spawn of megawatt franchises such as Batman, Star Trek, Alien, Harry Potter, Spider-Man, and Jurassic Park. The legions of faithful filmmakers orbiting the Stranger Things universe are certainly no different. Enter the upside down with the 80s era kids of Hawkins, Indiana, and these 11 not-for-profit unauthorized fan films using Stranger Things as their spirit guide, and tell us which entries celebrate the eerie property best. So, we're going to have the link to this over in our show notes, which is goldenspiralmedia.com slash Stranger Things. Of course, this is episode, uh, season two, episode 21. And You can, or you can just go over to Sci-Fi Wire and give it a search, but we'll have the link for it right there on our website. And there are 11 fan-made films. I didn't watch all of them yet. I think I've watched four, maybe five of them. The longest one I watched was eight minutes. I think the shortest one was around three minutes. So they're very short. And these are absolutely wonderful I posted one of them over on our Facebook group, and it is influenced by Stranger Things and Peanuts cartoons. And it is brilliant. It is so good. Here's the 11 uh, fan films uh, by their titles. Uh, Stranger Cases, Peculiar Items, number 10, number nine, The Dreamer, number eight, Upside Down, number seven, Hawkins Night, number six, Strangest Things... Number five, Stranger Things. Number four, Stranger Things, the story of Henry and Dale. Let me park here for just a second. Henry and Dale got a brief mention in the show. They were the hunters that were missing. Mm -hmm. Remember that? This is somewhat a fan's version of what happened, how they went missing. And it's really, really good. Number three, 001, A Stranger Things fan film. Number two, The Twelfth Search. And number one, A Stranger Things Christmas. That's the one that's peanuts inspired. So these are worth your time and they're brilliant and they're fun. And it's really cool to see some fan, amateur filmmakers uh, pulling from inspiration from Stranger Things to make some films. So go check those out.
2: Have you seen any of those, Addie? I have not. I might go watch
3: them after we record, though. I was going to say, I think I'm going to go check these out, too.
2: (laughs) So this one comes from TVInsider.com. Stranger Things 3 announces premiere date with a revealing poster. The third season of the Supernatural series, Stranger Things, is scheduled to debut July 4th on Netflix. The streaming service announced the premiere date early New Year's Day on Twitter. The message also included a poster showing animated versions of the characters played by Millie Bobby Brown, Finn Wolfhard, Gayton Matarazzo, Caleb McLaughlin, Noah Schnapp, and Sadie Sink watching fireworks light up on a summer night sky. A YouTube video showed footage of the 1984-85 broadcast of Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve being interrupted on a television by computer coding. The message... One summer can change everything. July 4th, 1985, appears on the screen before the 1985 changes to 2019. I have seen that trailer.
0: What were your thoughts when you saw it?
2: I don't know. I was really confused. I was like, who is this person on the TV? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. You're a little young to know who Dick Clark is. A yeah. Oh. Yeah. You've seen the ball drop, you know. I mean, they don't. Dick Clark doesn't host it. You know, that, he's passed away now. but Isn't least... it
2: like with Ryan Seacrest?
0: Mm, I think so. Beth, what were your thoughts on the trailer or the teaser, whatever you want to call it?
3: Actually, I'm trying to look for the poster now. Um, I saw it and I was looking at the details um, like the fireworks. Okay, so two of them are pointing uh, to the fireworks and I'm like, what are they pointing at? And I kept looking for details, Mm -hmm. thinking there's got to be something in the fireworks and I can't see anything different. But anyway, it's a pretty neat little um, poster there. And it's, um, it doesn't give you a lot, does it?
0: <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. The one clue that I've seen people talking about is, well, there's a couple of things, something about a silver cat, I think, and then something about blue, where blue and yellow meet. And we had talked in a previous episode about it being maybe at the hands of the clock oh, at yeah. the Starcourt Mall. And that was a clue that we got from that book, the Stranger Things book that came out. Mm-hmm. But in this poster, Eleven is wearing a blue shirt. Mike Wazowski is wearing a yellow shirt.
2: I found it interesting that Max and Lucas weren't holding hands, but Eleven and
3: Mike are. Hmm. So maybe they like break up or something. Maybe they do. Um, another thing is that Will is uh, actually there, and he looks okay. So maybe Will's going to survive this summer, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we can only hope the poor kid. <laughs> yeah. So July 4th is going to be our date. So that's good. So that means now that we have a date for season three, we can plan the rest of our off-season schedule. So we'll touch base on that before we get out of here today. That'll be near the end of the episode. So I know all of you have been really anticipating, what does this mean for their schedule? Yeah. So we'll, we'll tell you about that before we got here.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, everyone's wondering that.
0: I'm, I'm sure. They've just went, we've been waiting with bated breath. All right. So July 4th, all of them drop. Addie will watch them all, I'm sure, that day. I will Not you. I will take them a week at a time. So that's the way we roll here.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay.
3: All right. The next story is uh, Netflix reboots True Crime and Paranormal Series unsolved mysteries with stranger things executive producer sean levy this comes from deadline.com and a special shout out to john grail who put this on facebook for us unsolved mysteries is back after netflix revived the long-running true crime and paranormal franchise the series which was hosted by robert stack and ran for over 500 episodes between 1987 and and 2010, is being refreshed by Stranger Things executive producer, Sean Levy, and his company, 21 Laps Entertainment and Netflix. Levy is overseeing the revamp in association with Cosgrove Muir Productions, the original production company run by the show's creators, John Cosgrove and Terry Dunn Muir. The latter will showrun the series with Cosgrove, Levy, and Josh Barry as executive producers. Robert Wise is co-exec producer and showrunner with Dunn Muir. The 12-part show will use reenactments in a documentary format, will profile real-life mysteries and unsolved crimes, love lost, case involving mystery missing persons, and unexplained paranormal events each episode will focus on one mystery in the original series actors played the victims criminals and witnesses but family members and police were regularly interviewed unsolved mysteries ran on nbc between 1987 and 97 and cbs picked it up for two more years after it was canceled Lifetime aired a number of new episodes in 2001, 2002, and Spike also picked it up between 2008 and 2010 with Dennis Farina replacing Stack following the untouchable actor's death in 2003. So what's your take
0: on this, Beth? Do you remember watching that when it was on in the 80s or even in the early 80s?
3: To be honest with you, I'd never watched this show. It wasn't something that I was attracted to, um, so I didn't see it.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, not for me. I watched it all the time. In fact, I am guilty of, they put this on, I want to say Amazon Streaming. A couple of years ago. It may still be there. And I've even gone back and watched old episodes <laughs> via Amazon Prime because I enjoyed the show that much. So oh, wow. Yeah. It's 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 fun to me, these these mysteries and Uh, Yeah, I I can just remember, I don't know if we watched it every week, but it seems like pretty much every week. And Robert Stack was the perfect host for that. And uh, I loved it. So I'm really excited to see this show being brought back and to have a Stranger Things person tied into the project is really cool for me. All right. Well, thank you for uh, sharing the news, girls. Let's move into our discussion on Firestarter. This released on May 11th, 1984, and the budget was $12 million. The box office brought in 17 so it was profitable, but barely um rotten tomatoes i thought was interesting on this one so it has a rotten Tomatoes score of 38 percent, which is Oof. pretty low um robert ebert gave now do you know who robert ebert is nope yeah so siskel and ebert were gene siskel and robert ebert were um film critics for two different newspapers in chicago the chicago tribune and the chicago sun times if i remember right and they were really popular in the 80s, 90s, um, and then they retired. The show continued with new hosts, but they had a weekly show where they would review movies and kind of show you what's coming out in the box office this week. And then they would give each film a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So, And they were highly regarded film critics, very very highly respected. If you could get their endorsement, it would be on your movie poster as a movie you know, producer or, or the marketing would put that on the movie poster because you got their kind of stamp of approval. So. Sorry for all you guys who know who they are. I got to bring the younger crowd back to speed here. But anyway, Roger Ebert gave the film uh, two stars out of four and wrote that, quote, the most astonishing thing, end quote, was about, quote, how boring it is, end quote. He went on to say, quote, there's not a character in this movie that is convincing, even for a moment, nor a line in this movie that even experienced performers can make real and We don't feel sorry for Barrymore because she's never developed as a believable little girl, just a plot gimmick, end quote. Mm. Yeah. In 2012, Stephen King described the film as one of the worst made from his books, describing it as, quote, flavorless. It's like cafeteria mashed potatoes, end quote.
2: Okay. The the mashed potatoes at our school are pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) And so is the movie. So...
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to get your take on that. Both of you guys to see where, where do you fall? Do you, do you think those criticisms are warranted or? No,
3: no, they're wrong.
0: Yeah. Okay. Beth.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with Addie. Um, it was a lot better than that. Uh, that's why I saw it so many times, uh, you know, five or six times and yeah. cause it was entertaining and fun. And that's the thing about sci-fi is don't take it too seriously. Y'all it's just for fun. And, uh, get into the story, enjoy it, and then leave it. Yeah. You know, don't, don't just knock it because, Oh, this was so boring for me. Right.
0: Yeah. I think it's a little harsh too. I think that the line here, we don't feel sorry for Barrymore because she's never developed as a believable little girl. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. And then even Stephen King calling it flavorless, like mashed potatoes. It's not perfect, but I wouldn't call it flavorless. I thought there was a lot of flavor, especially as the movie went on. So mm,
2: Yes, it tasted good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But perhaps it's uh, not surprising based on that, that this movie did not receive any awards, nor was it nominated for any awards. Here's a synopsis, and I don't know where this came from. I, I looked on IMDb, I looked on Rotten Tomatoes, I looked on Fandango and some of the other places. I finally just did the Google search, and this came up in the Google sidebar, and they didn't credit where it came from. So I'm sorry I can't credit this, but uh, it says, As youths, Andy McGee and his future wife, Vicky participated in secret experiments allowing themselves to be subjected to mysterious medical tests. Years later, the couple's daughter, Charlie begins to exhibit the ability of setting fires solely with her mind. This volatile talent makes the youngster extremely dangerous, and soon she becomes a target for the enigmatic agency known as The Shop. Now, I will say that The Shop might be the most flavorless, cafeteria mashed potatoes-like name of a villainous organization that I've ever heard. But I think that goes to Mr. King himself, not the writers or the developers of the, the story here. So...
3: Oh, yeah, oh, he, that, was, he was on that came up with the name. Yeah, so. yeah. That's what I was going to say. He came up with the name. So that goes right back to him that it's lifeless. Yeah. <laughs> That's
4: right.
0: <laughs> it's like he has a dartboard of what to name the nefarious organization, The Shop. All right. Phoning it in today, boys. We're going with The Shop. Beth, would you mind telling us who the uh, participants are in this movie?
3: Okay, so this movie stars David Keith, and he plays Andy McGee. He's the father. And uh, David Keith has been in a lot of movies, 118 movies total uh, throughout his career. His most notable, though, was in 88 when he was in Heartbreak Hotel playing Elvis. Hmm. So, yeah, his career never really did take off very much. So uh, let's see. And then there's, of course, Drew Barrymore. She's the biggest name, at least now, uh, among all of these. She played Charlie McGee, the little girl. And she was nine years old when she filmed this. I think it was right after E.T. that she did this film. And we'll talk a little bit about her life uh, here in a little bit. But uh, most notable roles that we would know of now would be from the movie Scream, Wedding Singer, Never Been Kissed, Charlie's Angels. So she, her career is fine. She's mm-hmm. doing great. Heather Locklear was barely in this movie. She played Vicki McGee. Martin Sheen, uh, he is the father of Charlie Sheen. Most uh, fame infamous hmm. Charlie Sheen, and then Emilio Estevez, who we hear nothing from anymore. Mm-hmm. I think he does a lot of production now, but that's it. He is an A-list actor. He did two hundred and fifty-six movies total, most notably Apocalypse Now, Wall Street, Total Recall. So he's been in a lot of big movies.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And then George C. Scott. He played John Rainbird, and um, somebody on Facebook I think mentioned that, you know, that the role was supposed to be a Native American, and George C. E. Scott is not Native American, so it was kind of weird that he got cast. But uh, anyway, he always plays larger-than-life characters like Patton, uh, George, uh, General George Patton. He played. Um, he was in Twelve Angry Men. He played Mussolini. He played Scrooge in The Christmas Carol. So he's always this big, flamboyant character. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I am gonna want to mention is Art Carney um, playing the farmer guy, um, Arv Manders. And he's best known for the the TV show The Honeymooner from the 50s. Although he played some smaller roles in, like, Last Action Hero and Uncle Buck. So I don't know if Addie has seen Uncle Buck before or mm-hmm. not, but... No, oh, you need to see that. Uh, yeah. It's really so really cute.
0: You're right. Isn't I need that, to show that to her. That's yeah, a good one.
3: Isn't that John Hughes?
0: Um, I don't know who directed that. And of course, John Candy was the star of that one, but I don't know. Yeah, it might be a John Hughes film. I'm not sure.
3: Yeah. All right. So that's everybody that's in it that we uh, want to talk about. Excellent. Thank you.
2: Okay, and the director of Firestarter was Mark L. Lester. The writer was Stanley Mann for screenplay and Stephen King for the novel. And then the composer was Tangerine Dream.
0: All right. Well, let's get into some of our favorite moments from the film and just general thoughts about the film. And, of course, Beth, uh, being our guest and having seen it the most times, uh, you get first dibs.
3: All right. Um, I really liked it. I mean, back in the uh, mid to late 80s, you know, the uh, science fiction, kind of almost campy science fiction movies were very popular. And um, I put this movie right in there with like Terminator, which came out later that same year. Terminator blew up into a huge thing, a big franchise and had a lot of other movies, whereas this one just fell flat. Some guys on Facebook said that there was a sequel on Sci-Fi Network, and I never saw that. But uh, anyway, so I thought it should have gotten a little more um, credit than it did. So my first uh, thought or memory from the movie that I really liked was the first half of the movie they spent with the bad guys chasing Andy and Charlie around. Mm -hmm. And they confront them early on, and Charlie sets one of the guys on fire. The next time they meet, the bad guys show up in fire suits. And I'm telling you, the minute they came out, I'm laughing because it's hilarious.
4: Yeah.
3: They should have known from the beginning, like, this girl could set people on fire. <laughs> maybe, know, right? <laughs> maybe we ought to come with the fire suits on before we meet the child. You know, <laughs> so, I thought that was a little goofy. Mm. Um, and then when they uh, run into them at the lake cabin, Rainbird, which he's the only one not wearing a fire suit. Everybody else has one. And there must be 20 guys to get this little girl. Yeah. And so he's pretty cocky about, you know, I'm going to get her. I don't need a fire suit. So,
0: yeah, I thought that was funny how they were all perfectly hidden behind a tree until like they all come out. I'm like,
2: yeah. I was wondering why they needed weird. like 20 people to get like the one little girl. They didn't even need that many people. They didn't. They only needed like one person, which was like the dude who shot them, and then like three more who carried the data away. They didn't need like twenty people. What?
0: Yeah, it was smart what he did. You know, using that uh, that tranquilizer dart to subdue both of them. You know, because they had tried confronting her in the past. Which again, you're like you're pointing out, Beth. It's like they don't realize what she, you know. They gave her this gift we'll call it and then they act like they don't know what it does until they've experienced it firsthand but that's just not the case like everyone that's why they wanted it so badly so they didn't really that that was one of the things i kind of had a problem with was some of those decisions didn't quite make sense but sorry to interrupt you
3: that's okay (laughs) Uh, let's see. The next memory that I've got that I really liked was when the doctor uh, who was in charge of this lot 6 testing, Dr. Wanless, I guess is how you say that, or Wainless, mm-hmm. uh, he explains to Hollister and Rainbird that Charlie's abilities at this age is just the tip of the iceberg. And one day she could create a nuclear explosion simply by the power of her will. <laughs> and so I just love this guy, how overly dramatic he is. And then he says she could crack the very planet in two
0: and that's interesting at the time because I thought there's no way he's being overly dramatic. But when you see her power unleashed at the end of the movie, I don't know if she could crack the the planet in two, but it, you know, she definitely has some very powerful abilities and we, you know, makes his warning quite believable, I think by the end, which is obviously is the, the point of that, some foreshadowing that he lays down at that point.
3: Right. Right. Uh, the next part that. um, is kind of like the central part of it is this John Rainbird character. Um, He is the one who befriends Charlie. And so early on, he's explaining to Martin Sheen's character that he wants to gain Charlie's trust. So when the shop is done with her, which we're not sure what that means,
4: Mm
3: -hmm. um, he can dispose of her. Uh, He plans to strike the bridge of her nose, causing bones to shoot up into her brain, killing her instantly. He does this to the doctor early on. So later, Charlie tells Rainbird how she and her father are going to escape, and she trusts him enough to tell him what's going to happen. And so he's looking at her like, hmm, should I try to kill her right now or should I wait? So he puts his arm in a position like he's ready to hit her. And then this guy comes along and is like, hey, you guys ready to go to the bar? Mm -hmm. You know, and he has to stop. So anyway, that's kind of uh, kind of funny that uh, he thinks about it for a second. You look on his face is I'm going to kill you Mm -hmm. right now.
4: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Did you think it was really creepy in that earlier scene when he's explaining to Martin Sheen's character about what his future plans are with her like i wasn't sure what direction that was going to go because it seemed like there might be some some really like pedophilic type of yeah, stuff going on
2: yeah and
0: then he kind of explained it better and i was like still creepy but maybe not the pedophile stuff i don't know did you get that vibe at all beth
3: yeah absolutely and then i kind of wondered about because he kept saying he wanted to kill her and it sounded like take her powers from
0: her yeah 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 definitely later on when he said that i'm like okay i'm 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 getting your vision now you're still a weird creepo but right yeah you're not like a pedophile creepo you're just other kinds of creepo
2: Mm, i I don't know i still think he's kind of a pedophile
0: yeah maybe i don't know he was he was creepy
3: he was totally enjoying the hugs from her and everything so yeah
0: yeah you're right
3: yeah
0: yeah and apparently spoiler alert he's not dead I guess in the, you mentioned, Beth, earlier, the, the sci-fi did a show or a movie. I don't recall which one it was later on in the 2000s. And I guess he's in that and he's got scars and stuff from their encounter that we see in the barn. So didn't actually die.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I didn't think the dad died at first because he died right after... She said, um, no, I can't leave you here. So I thought he was faking it just to get her leave so mm-hmm. she wouldn't like be exploded by the fire. We could see that. Yeah, and, and thought like he wasn't actually dead, but he was. So yep. yeah, you know,
3: it'd be like that.
0: Rip dead. All right. What else?
3: Okay. So Charlie, um, this is like noticing things in the rooms and the backgrounds. Uh, you know, sometimes when you watch movies, you've seen a bunch of times you think, Oh, let's look at the round and see if there's something to notice here. Mm-hmm. And it, when they were doing the flashbacks of when Charlie was a small child, um, they showed around her bedroom and there's a fire extinguisher hanging on the wall. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, I guess they would need one, wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. Um, And then later on, too, um, in the shop in her bedroom, they also have a fire extinguisher hanging on the wall. So um, they were at least prepared for something to start with her. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I totally missed it. Did you see it, Eddie? No. Yeah.
3: I I didn't notice either fire extinguisher. Uh,
0: Completely oblivious both times, too.
3: Okay, the next one is when Charlie is uh, in the testing room, the very first test they run, And she basically blows it away. And the guy that's in the room with her runs out of the room. Well, he leaves the door wide open. And uh, so she just kind of saunters on out of the room and nobody's paying attention. She could easily just take off. But no, she goes back to her bedroom. And it's like, why did you not try to escape, little girl? You know, I'm like, why are you in the bedroom?
0: Totally with you on this one. Yeah. And they even pointed it out like, she's gone. You better go find her. And it turned out that she hadn't even tried to escape. She, You know, they built it up like it was going to, the chase was going to be on. And then, no, she just went back to her her room.
4: Yeah.
2: I thought it, she was going to go try to find her dad.
0: Yeah, I did too. Yeah. So that was, yeah, totally. I think we're all on the same page here. That just <laughs> made no sense. Especially since they I- put a piece of dialogue in there to make it seemed like there was like, Addie, yeah. she's going to go find her dad or something. And no.
3: Right. I'm wondering if in the novel that, that actually there was more to it than mm-hmm. that, you know, movies yeah. that got to cut out a lot. Sure. So maybe so. And during the destruction scene in the end, you know, this is no spoilers. Cause this movie is so old. Um, <laughs> during the destruction in the end, um, you know, she's blowing people up, she's blowing up stuff. And this one guy jumps on a golf cart to take off. And I'm like, you're going nowhere on that thing buddy and he's going very slow and he's looking back at her like is she gonna get me and then the golf cart just explodes it's hilarious
2: yeah I like that scene cause um well I say this later like whenever we talk about our favorite scenes but uh I like when she was like destroying everything and there was like this one guy who was like running and then she like sends a fireball and then just like yeets him into the tree it was
3: so funny <laughs> Oh, that's right. He blows up and he goes straight up into the trees. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's hilarious. For, I forgot about that.
0: Yeah.
3: And then, of course, the last thing that I really wanted to talk about was like the bullets bouncing off the child. I mean, everybody's shooting at her and shooting at her and they're just bouncing off her and she's not even flinching, you know, like eh, no big deal.
0: Hmm. That was cool. I mean, that's kind of a different type of power. Like, I don't know, like we didn't really get an explanation to my satisfaction, of why she was able to do that, she unless was I missed something. Them. Well, maybe so. I mean, we did see at one point she it slowed down the bullet and it blew up in midair before it got to her. But those seem to be like bouncing off of a uh, um, force field. Yeah. So
2: I don't see why she couldn't have done that to the bullet that shot her dad. Like, oh,
3: there you go.
2: Like if she could block herself or whoever he was trying to shoot, mm-hmm. why couldn't she? Protect her dad I don't know Like why does she Suddenly get this Power to Deflect bullets
0: Well I think Cause the The deflecting Of the bullets Came After that Now the one I mentioned Slowed down And blew up midair I don't remember When that one happened But it's after Her dad dies That we see her go Completely Full on rage And I think that That emotion of Her dad dying Is what allowed her To just go incinerate everybody and everything like that.
2: Yeah. Last night, whenever we were watching the movie, um, and she was like deflecting all the bullets, remember that really funny thing that I said? None of the bullets are working, so they should try more bullets.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So <laughs> the guy who breaks out the machine gun. Yeah. When you said that.
2: Yeah. The, the, I said that. Uh-huh. Yeah. It wasn't Colby.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I was going to give you credit. I couldn't remember which one of you said it, but you just, you just read it out yourself. Nice job.
2: (laughs) 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 You can just cut that part out. No,
0: we'll leave it in. All right. Well, I don't have as as many uh, detailed items as Beth did because I'm not as awesome as she is. Um, Generally, I will say that I thought the film was just meh. I I didn't think it was as bad as uh, Ebert or even Stephen King said about it. Um, I thought it was, no pun intended, I thought it was a slow burn. It kind of built up a little bit, got better as it went on. Parts of me thought the flashbacks with the dad dreaming were maybe not the best way of doing the storytelling, but I don't know how you could have done it better because you know you couldn't really start the story from the point where they meet there in the um, experiment lab room because then you'd have to have a jump in time to get Charlie at the age for the rest of the story. So there's going to have to be time jumps somewhere or the other. So I guess it worked fine. I just, I don't know. It was weird for me. Uh, I thought the acting was was poor at times. Obviously the big name actors were great. Uh, George C. Scott was great. Art Carney was great. Uh, Martin Sheen was great. Um, And everyone was, was good at times, but All the, I think pretty much all the agents, their acting was meh. Um, Drew Barrymore's acting was meh at times, but I give her a pass because she's nine and she's still learning. I thought she
2: was like six in the movie. Yeah. I'm really bad at telling (laughs) age.
0: You are. You still think your brother is two. Twelve. (laughs) He's neither of those. (laughs) Um, But really, I think the thing that I that I the reason I was that the first part of it was meant was just some of those decisions. We talked about some of those already. But I think for me, one of the biggest ones in all of us while we're watching it last night, we're like, come on. And that is when Charlie gets hit by the tranquilizer dart. The dad just sits there with her out in the open, makes no effort to shield her or himself or move away or i mean he kind of gives a cursory look to the woods like what just happened but he completely leaves himself vulnerable and open for attack which he knows the agents are after them so you would think as soon as she gets hit you grab her and you try to get some cover
2: yeah like why didn't they just go back inside
0: yeah and it would have ended in the same result i'm sure because without I mean, he could have tried to tell the guy to put his gun down, you know, mental the, the mental abilities that he had. But I don't know. That whole scene made no sense to me um, in terms of the decision making of the dad. But I will say once we we get, they get captured, the movie gets better. Now you get some, some development with Charlie and her trusting of John and, and that little plot line I thought was pretty good. We talked about her not going off and trying to escape when she left the room. We we'll, won't we'll rehash that. Uh, and then once really they get into the barn and all of that through the end of the movie, I thought was fun. It was it campy at times, sure, but that's fine. Uh, I thought the ending of it was really fun and exciting. And I really enjoyed it after that. So it was, that's why I say it was a slow burn for me. I really enjoyed the ending. The build up to it was, was good at times, bad at others. And in the end, where she magically remembered how to get back to the farm, fine. You know, there's no way she would have remembered that, but. That's okay. It gave us the happy ending. The older couple got the daughter that they never had. So it gives us a nice wrap up and I'm okay with that.
2: Oh yeah. I just remembered that he said, I had always wanted a daughter. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was weird how like the, the wife looked so much younger than the other dude.
0: I looked that up because I was wondering about that, too. She's 60. The, actor, the actress is 16 years younger than the act. That was Art Carney in that role. I don't remember her name. I could scroll up and then give her the credit that she deserves.
3: It's uh, Louise Fletcher.
0: Oh, is it okay, thank oh there she is. Yes, I was looking at the wrong yes. name. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, she's sixteen younger sixteen years younger than Art Carney. So That's weird. Yeah. I mean I felt like she was miscast or he was miscast. Like they weren't a believable couple to me either, but maybe it works.
2: I, I bet the actors were hoping that like in the movie they actually did get to go to Hawaii because then they would get to film in Hawaii. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everyone everyone's hoping you can get to go to Hawaii at some point. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Eddie, what about you?
2: I liked the flashbacks of the past events through the dad, Andy. Is that his screen name? Okay. Mm -hmm. Because I was wondering what happened to the mom. And then I was like, I really hope they show it. Because I think by that point, they already showed them like meeting. And I was like, oh, well, what happened to her? Mm -hmm. And like, how did she die? Because he was like talking to his daughter and she was like, I killed mommy. And he was like, no, you didn't. It wasn't your fault. And then, yeah, I was like, wait, what? What happened? Whenever they were going to sleep in the hotel room, it was almost like a dream sequence kind of, but you could tell he was still awake because it was just something he was thinking about. But um, yeah, then it shows what happens. And I was like, for some reason, I thought that Charlie was going to be the one in the closet, even though that um, the whole story is based around her. So, she's obviously still alive. I don't know. I just thought that the wife would be dead. And then Charlie would be like hiding in there with her. Mm. I don't know why. but yeah, I could
0: see that. I could see that. Okay. So, let me ask you. You brought up an interesting point that I was actually talking to your mom about this morning. Because I remembered what you just said where Charlie was saying, I killed mom. I killed mom. And... So I kept waiting for a flashback scene where she kills her mom. Like she catches her on fire and burns her up.
2: Yeah, and, and I was that, waiting for that.
0: Yeah, and that clearly never happened and clearly she kn- she didn't have anything to do with her mom's death. So why does she d- does she because feel that way because she, they they were after Charlie and if Charlie didn't have the gifts then her mom wouldn't have died?
2: Yeah, I f- I feel like it was because um Charlie had like the powers and that they were after Charlie. And Charlie knew that they were after her. So if like she could like control her powers better, people wouldn't have like known that she had powers. And I feel like the mom probably had powers too. Because if well, the, yeah. if the dad did, then
4: yeah. Well,
0: we see the mom talking to Andy mentally when oh, they're in yeah, the bed. Yeah, so I, remember that. I think all three, and that's why I'm saying this because I felt like all three of them had gifts. So. If Charlie thinks that her mom got killed because they only wanted charlie i don't I don't think that's accurate, and the Dad needs to do a better job of explaining it to her. This poor girl feels like her mom's fault or her mom's death was her fault, and i mean really, it has very little to do with her i mean ultimately she's the she's the most powerful of them they want her most of all, but I don't know beth what do you how do you feel about this
3: um I think that the mom's death, yeah, it was a little weird that they put her in that closet after they killed her with a sock in her mouth or something. And
4: mm-hmm. I was
3: like, um, this is unexplained and it, it, it didn't make a lot of sense. And then, of course, her thinking that she was at fault. So, yeah, it didn't really go the way that we all thought it was going to go which right. she kept saying that.
0: Yeah. Eddie, I cut you off. I didn't mean to. What were you, you going to go on to say?
2: Um, I feel like that they killed her because if she was still alive, then she would have tried to protect Charlie. And that would have been like two more people or like one more person getting in the way. So they killed her off whenever they had the chance. So it would be like a better chance to get Charlie because mm-hmm. then you just have the dad defending her instead of the mom and the dad.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Anything else you want to share?
2: Okay. So some of the choices of the characters made were kind of dumb and you already went over that like whenever they were at the lake they oh yeah and then Charlie whenever she could have escaped but she didn't so some of the choices they made were kind of dumb and I also found it weird that whenever they got into the truck with like the random stranger the dad put uh, his kid like next to the stranger dude I feel like that any parent would have put themselves next to the stranger and then have their kid on the other side
0: wow what a great observation i don't
2: don't know this is like the first thing i did
0: that is really a great i feel like a terrible father now i didn't pick up on that it's like your motherly instinct kicked in there that's cool
3: yes i am mother (laughs) (laughs) all right well this was back in the 80s too guys and so you know we all used to jump on our bikes and never come home until it's dark and so that whole instinct of maybe I should sit next to the stranger just probably never crossed his mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah.
0: <laughs> Although him like the stranger, well, I guess they've had a meal together by this time and and he says let's talk let's have a beer. And he's like, he just like, he was like...
2: He tells him everything. Yeah,
0: he's like um, a Chunk from the Goonies last, last month where he just like, oh, yeah. you, you put a little pressure on him and he just starts spilling his entire guts in front of you. It's like, why do you tell I him I thought me it was
2: because he was going to wipe his mind after, but he, he didn't.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, he could have.
2: Yeah, I don't know if it's just because he ran out of time or if he was just really stupid and was never planning on doing that, but yeah.
0: I mean, ultimately, it works out because now they have the background to understand what they're going through so they can help defend them when the when the agents show up. And then, of course, receive Charlie at the end of the movie. But at the time, it seemed really risky and, well, dumb.
2: Yeah. Whenever. Okay. I thought they were like bad guys at first, or at least the wife, because whenever they were walking into the house, mm-hmm. um, she like gives her husband this dirty look. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I guess it was just because she didn't want to have people over. Like, whenever I make plans and Mom's like, um, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sometimes it'd be like that.
2: It, it really do.
0: Yep. All right, Well, right, let's move into memories from the first time you saw this film. Addie, you're up first.
2: Well, I can't remember. It's been a while. Um I, I'm pretty sure we were all sitting on the couch and... um
0: You should be able to remember it like it was just yesterday.
2: I suddenly do remember it was (laughs) was yesterday. Um, I remember not wanting to watch it because I was sitting in my room talking to my friends. And then you come in here, like come in my room and you're like, it's movie time. And I'm like, bro, do I have to? And you're like, yeah. And I was like, okay, fine. And then I go into the kitchen and then I peel the kiwi. And I start eating the kiwi and then you guys are just like waiting on me and I'm like the kitchen's right next to to the living room why don't you just unpause it and we can watch it while I'm eating my kiwi. And then I sit down with like underneath all both of my blankets and then yeah it was pretty good but like towards the middle and end I guess it did get kind of boring like especially that scene where the doctor goes in with like those two weird dudes And starts, like, explaining that um, she could be, like, dangerous. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I just felt that scene was kind of of boring. Maybe because there was, like, no action in it. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, really wondering, like, how much time was left in the movie because I wanted to go back and talk to my friends again. There were a couple more, like, scenes like that that were just kind of, like, boring and pointless. Mm Mm-hmm. But like, I liked the movie overall. So I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's just that there were some, some scenes that could have been like summed up or cut.
4: Well, that's
0: interesting. I know that you, in, look, you know, I'm going to throw you under the bus a little bit here. <laughs> this is the situation we have pretty much every month where you don't want to watch the movie and then we get you in there and then you enjoy the movie. Even though I tell you all week, we're going to watch the movie at around seven o'clock on Friday. And I wasn't sure how much you were going to like the movie. But then there were times when like you sit up like on the edge of the couch, like you're like totally sitting up straight because you're really into it. And I remember when specifically one time when Charlie is starts to climb up the ladder in the barn to go to John and you're just like, no. Can't like you're like talking to the TV like or to her, like Mom you know? Thunder yeah, exactly. So I was, and I was really glad to see it because obviously that means you're into the movie, you're enjoying it. So um yeah, yeah. Glad so far, there's only it. been
2: like one movie that I didn't like, and that was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I just didn't really like
4: the movie. Yeah, I see that.
2: It might have been because we were at a band competition and I wanted to talk to my friends. But
0: is that the one we watched over a couple? Of, it was. Yeah, you yeah. have good memory. Well, uh, as far as me, memories from the first time I saw it, um, I remember watching this when it came out on VHS. I've said many times on this podcast and others that I grew up in a house where we watched horror films every weekend, or, or we went to the movies to see... If we were going to the theater, it was usually to see a horror film. I remember sitting uh, on the first row of the movie theater because that was proved you were really tough. Those are like uh, the worst seats, though. I know. I know. But it was to see Return of the Living Dead. But anyway, we didn't go to the theater to see this movie, but we did see it when it came out on video. A lot of Stephen King movies we did. We watched them, pretty much everyone. We'll name off a few here in, a, in a, just a minute, actually. But I remember watching this when I was a kid and I remember liking it. And I, I don't remember a whole lot of scenes from the movie. As I'm As I'm thinking about it ahead of time, like, what do I remember about this film? Really the only scene that came to mind was the scene in the flashback where Charlie sets her mom's hands on fire or the, or the oven mitts on fire.
2: I thought, um, sorry. I thought, um, that's the scene like where she killed her. And that's why she was thinking that she was on that killer. I was
0: like, I thought the same thing. Like I, and then again, I I was talking to your mom about this this morning and I was telling her that exact same thing. I thought, well, Charlie says that she killed her mom and I could, I could not remember and so I thought, well, this must be when her hands caught on fire. I'm like, oh, this is it. This is where her mom dies. And that didn't happen. And I was like, okay, I guess we're going to see another flashback scene where she burns up her mom. But so I, yeah, I was completely with you on that. But I, I did remember her setting her mom's hands on fire. And I, for whatever reason, I thought that was funny. <laughs>
2: Dad, you're terrible.
0: <laughs> I know. I don't think it's because I had a desire to set my mom's, my own mom's, or even my stepmom's hands on fire or or them at all. I mean, I just, I think I just thought it was cool that you could like look at something and set it on fire. That's nice. Yeah. So, yeah. And I remember her being hooked to electrodes and stuff, but I think that those memories come from me seeing pictures of that, or even comparison pictures of Drew Barrymore and, or Charlie and 11, right? Those are comparisons that that people have used when they're talking about exactly what we're talking about, movies that have influenced Stranger Things. So, really, my only memory I think is the one where the mittens get caught on fire. So, Beth, what about you? What are your memories from the first time you saw the film?
3: Um, I couldn't really remember uh, the first time. I just kind of like the time frame. Um, I did not see it in theaters because um, I was not into horror films back in those days, like you were. But it was on Cinemax like every weekend for years. And so, uh, the first time I saw it was probably watching it on cable Mm -hmm. and, um, I knew that I was a fan of Drew Barrymore and I wanted to see more from her. Um, and she had been in ET already. And so it was like, Oh, look, it's the ET girl. Maybe this movie will be good, you know? And, and, uh, so I watched it and I was like, Oh, she's a little older. Okay. And, you know, you kind of just the thoughts of the actress as opposed to like what's going on in the film and. So, then I had to watch it again. I was like, oh, okay. You know, you pick up on things the more that you see stuff. And, of course, I love sci-fi movies, and uh, that's what interests me anyway. You know, I never read the Stephen King novel, of course. And, um, of course, now I'm thinking, well, maybe I need to read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's kind of sad that he didn't like the movie, so...
0: Yeah, I'm I'm surprised he said that about the movie. I'll I'll talk about why here in in just a second, actually. I think that's the next thing I I have on my list. Maybe I won't get ahead of myself. But maybe that'll segue us into our fun facts. We couldn't, I couldn't find as many fun facts on this one as I typically do. I looked at IMDb and did some other uh, web searches and, and pulled up a few. Beth, uh, you added one here, which I really appreciate. I'm going to get it kicked off here with this being one of six filmed adaptations of a Stephen King story produced in some capacity by Dino de Laurentiis. The other ones are Cat's Eye from 1985, which I believe also stars Drew Barrymore, Silver Bullet from 1985, Maximum Overdrive from 86, The Dead Zone from 83, and Sometimes They Come Back from 1991. So, again, mentioning that we saw a bunch of Stephen King movies growing up. Definitely saw cat's eye silver bullet, maximum overdrive, and I'm pretty sure we saw sometimes they come back the dead zone i you know interesting those of you Stephen King fans you know that may be the one that sticks out as the best piece on this i don't I still don't think I've seen that eighty three is a little bit early for me, mostly we started watching horror films after my dad and stepmom got married, and which was in eighty five I believe so even though films like this precede that date. You know, in terms of the VHS cycle or just kind of catching films from this era, for whatever reason, I don't think we picked up Dead Zone. Maybe they had already seen it by the time our families merged or something. I don't know. But the others I have and what I was going to say a minute ago is when I think about these films, Silver Bullet, Maximum Overdrive, even Cat's Eye. Those are pretty cheesy campy too. Maximum Overdrive especially, which I loved. I remember loving that film as as a kid. I mean, who doesn't like the idea of, you know, trucks coming to life and destroying everything and all kinds of machinery and stuff. I don't know, I thought it was really cool. So for Steven to say, to be so down on this film, saying it was like, tasteless mashed cafeteria mashed potatoes I'm wondering if he saw these other adaptations (laughs) because they're all kind of cut out of a similar cloth this campy cheesy 1980s you know style of film I did so I think when you compare it to these others on this list it's not that different in my opinion
3: And Emilio Estevez is in Maximum Overdrive. So there's kind of a little bit of a connection with Charlie Sheen. Oh, I didn't
0: remember that. Okay. I
3: mean, Martin Sheen, sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah, I knew who you meant. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Terry O'Quinn, those of us who are Lost fans, he's in Silver Bullet. But I I did not remember that um, Charlie was in. You said Charlie, right? Or did you say Emilio? Emilio yeah Emilio, yeah. sorry uh yeah I'll have to I've thought about watching rewatching that film a few times because I want to see how it stands up to my 40 year old self but honestly I loved it so much as a kid I'm a little bit afraid to because I'll be like oh my gosh this is really, ter- <laughs> <it's> really terrible <laughs> and I know it is but I, I should probably watch it at some point that's nice yeah all right save me from my blabbering Addie
2: According to director Mark L. Lester, Tangerine Dream never actually saw the film. They sent him some music and told him to choose whatever he liked.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's a good meme. That's
0: so weird. So they composed the music for the film, but they never actually watched it.
3: Yeah. All
0: right.
3: This one, it's not a fun fact, really. It's kind of sad, but um, Drew Barrymore became an alcoholic at age 10 or 11 Um, Hollywood back in those days they didn't protect their child actors from exposure to drugs and alcohol. She wrote a book and in her book, she says, well, the book title is Little Girl Lost. And in her book, she says that she was given alcohol at parties by adults that thought it was really cute for a child to drink. And um, so she got hooked and she would get drunk at these parties. They thought it was hilarious. It's crazy. And so she struggled with alcohol addiction well into her 20s. And then she was able to overcome her addictions with help. And her career finally flourished and she did well. So um, I really like to hear these overcoming stories like hers. And then Robert Dowdy Jr. also, I mean, he was hooked forever. And, you know, within the last, what, maybe 10 years, Mm -hmm. he's been clean and sober and doing great. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I read also when, when trying you had already put this in here and when I was pulling up fun facts for the episode I saw specifically uh, a quote from her saying that this film, Firestarter, the one of the parties, I don't know if it was the rap party or which what party it was, but it was that this film where she was first introduced to alcohol. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I also and this is interesting I think uh, I think it was last week. I, and I don't remember if I heard it on the radio or if I read it somewhere. But she said that she has never done heroin or plastic surgery because she feels like she would get addicted to oh, both yeah. of those. I
2: heard that on the radio. Is it the radio? Yeah. Okay.
0: And I thought that was really wise of her to recognize that she has the personality or whatever it is. I don't know that personality is really the best word to use there, but she has a propensity to get addicted to things. And so she is strong enough and self-disciplined enough to, to immature enough to refuse to take that first step just in, just in case that would lead her down a, a destructive path. So good on her. Right, right. All right. Well, in order to get Oscar winner, which uh, you mentioned Patton, George C. Scott was in Patton. He won an Oscar for that. So in order to get him in this film as the part of John Rainbird, Dino De Laurentiis went directly to Universal Pictures to request an additional $1 million so <laughs> that they could cast him in the film. And Robert Raim, who was in charge of the studio at that time, said, okay. So that's how we got... George C. Scott.
2: Is he actually blind in one eye, or is that just for the character?
0: Oh, stay tuned, my friend. We might have a fun fact about that uh, elusive eye patch that would appear and reappear in the, during the course of the film.
2: Firestarter was one of two Stephen King film adaptations made in 1984. The other one was Children of the Corn,
0: 1984. Yep. Did you ever see that one, Beth?
3: Yes, one time. It was so creepy. Uh, The kid with the big hat, you know, he was Mm -hmm. awful. I was just like the year, you know, I was probably what, 18, 19 years old and I was scared. So I said, I'm not watching this again.
4: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I remember being scared and creeped out by that movie. I watched it probably when I was 10 or so, but I remember liking it quite a bit. So I have fond memories of Children of the Corn, but it was definitely one that scared me.
3: Okay, um, during filming of The Thing, Universal offered John Carpenter the chance to direct the film. Carpenter hired Bill Lassiter to adapt the novel into a screenplay. Stephen King approved of Lassiter's screenplay. Months later, Carpenter had hired Bill Phillips to write another version with Richard Dreyfuss as the role of Andy. But when The Thing was a financial disappointment, Universal replaced Carpenter with Mark L. Lester. So, Richard Dreyfus, I mean, he's the guy. I really liked him back in the day. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. He was in Close Encounters, of course. Yes. We, we watched that already. And Jaws. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, so those two films, The Thing and Jaws, are still on our agenda to watch before we wrap up this series. I don't want to
2: watch those. <laughs> Why?
0: Are you, you think they're going to be scary?
2: Yeah. And I don't like sharks. I oh, don't know. It just seems like it's going to be really boring.
0: Oh. Well, you're going to have to watch it and find out. No, you. Um, I will watch it too. That's right. No, you. So Andy makes the cab driver think that a $1 bill is actually a $500 bill, right? That Bills... was confusing. Was it? Why was it confusing?
2: I was like, why would anyone fall for that?
0: Well, because he controlled his mind.
2: Yeah, but like those don't even exist.
0: Okay, so I wondered. I'm so glad you said that. that's why. That's why I, well, I wanted to see if that's what how you would answer. I didn't remember ever seeing a $500 bill. I wasn't sure if a $500 bill existed. So uh, bills larger than $100 were discontinued in 1969, but were never actually stricken as legal tender. And in 1980, there was still enough $500 bills floating around to actually make this seem plausible. Hmm. Yeah.
3: I've never seen a $500 bill, so I didn't. I don't think they exist.
0: I've never <laughs> seen one either. I don't know. Script
3: writer
2: Stanley Mann has a role as a motel owner. I remember that. He was in it
3: for like five seconds. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Last one.
3: This is the one for Addy here. George C. Scott wears an eye patch over his left eye during the final uh, hour of the film, which was due to an infection caused by a contact lens used earlier in the film. The eye was not quite healed and had to wear it to complete the film uh, filming of his scenes. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I thought that was weird, like... When they first show him putting on the eye patch, I thought, oh, he's, gonna, he's putting it on so that he can gain sympathy from yeah, Charlie. Because he didn't have it on earlier. True. She's going to say, oh, what happened to your eye? And he's going to use it. Yeah. So, and then there were scenes where he had it on, scenes where he didn't have it on. I just thought it was so weird that I was like, what's going on with the eye patch? So in case you're like me wondering, there's your answer. Mm-hmm. Were you guys wondering about that too? Sounds like Gaddy was.
2: Yeah. Oh, I just was wondering if it was real or not.
0: Okay.
3: He explained about being in Vietnam, so I thought maybe he was using that as like, "Oh, this is my wound from mm. Vietnam," you know. So. They had contacts back then.
4: Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> Hold on, I'm googling this.
0: Okay. Yeah, my stepsister had contacts, although hers were the the hard kind, not the soft contacts. I don't know if that was all that was available, or if that was there was the a reason, like maybe she was farsighted or something and had to have those i don't i don't know they definitely had them
2: the first contact lens was invented in 1887 by what some swiss physician it's made out of glass see i was right okay we were talking about in like math class during tutorial one time that um i was like yeah weren't contacts like originally made out of glass and then my math teacher was like no they've always been like that plastic material that's what mine are made out of like the Whatever they're on. Mm-hmm. And I was right. They were mad hog glass at first. <laughs>
0: Take that. <laughs> I had no idea they were that old, though. I would never would have thought that they were from the
2: 1800s. Yeah, me too. I would guess like, I don't know, like 1960s.
0: <laughs> That's what I would have thought. Yeah, I would have guessed. And then it really didn't become mainstream until maybe the 70s or 80s.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, so this is what we know. All right. Well, uh, here's what we do know that this film has some tie ins to Stranger Things.
2: I wouldn't have ever guessed that.
0: Wow. I thought some of them were pretty clear to see. What do you mean? Now, a lot of these things, uh, Beth, you put in for us. So take it away. What were some of the things that you noticed uh, from the film that tie into Stranger Things?
3: Well, the first time I watched uh, Stranger Things, I saw the bloody nose thing and I was like, oh. I think I remember seeing that from Firestarter or something. And so 11 has, you know, she gets the uh the bloody nose. Well, the father, Andy McGee, when he uses his mind control, his nose starts to bleed as well. I wonder why um
2: Charlie didn't get nosebleeds.
0: Yeah, she had a different gift, but I guess Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I think that was just because of the different... Maybe
2: maybe her mom didn't have nosebleeds and that was the gene that passed down to her.
4: Mm,
3: Maybe so. All right. There was secret government experiments being done um, trying to create human weapons. So Eleven, of course, they are trying to make her into a weapon. And then um, Andy and uh, Vicky, the two that took the LOT6 drug, um, they were also trying to make some kind of a weapon out of them as well.
0: Yeah, did you ever watch Fringe?
3: Fringe, no.
0: Oh, well, if you if you ever get the chance, I I highly recommend it. And there's this podcast of uh, this guy named Daryl and this guy named Clint used to do uh, who? called the Fringe Podcast. Never heard of them. But <laughs> so I, I won't say too much. I don't want to spoil you. But those of you who have seen Fringe, you know, just these scenes that we see with these with Charlie as a young girl. Being experimented on and being in a in a room, particularly with fire being involved, certainly reminded me a lot of Fringe. Not not just uh, Stranger Things, but but Fringe and some of the weaponization. I mean, I don't think Fringe was exactly trying to weaponize children, but there was some of that. Some definitely some nefarious things and motivations going on. So, not only did it remind me of Stranger Things, but also reminded me of Fringe.
3: Um, Both Eleven and Charlie wore those brain sensor things on their heads when they're doing the testing of their abilities. And so that just kind of the visual Mm -hmm. of the two of them was like, oh, wow, just like Firestarter.
0: Yep, totally.
3: And then Eleven and Andy changed the channels on the TV with their mind. Um, She does it because she doesn't have a remote. And he does it because he's tried to test his abilities coming back after being drugged for so long. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I like that. I didn't pick up on that one. I
2: forgot that Eleven changed the TV, so I didn't really, like, think of it.
0: Yeah. Well, a couple that I picked up on, we see just one scene that I can recall where the goons, the bad guys, are in a white van. I mean, We see them, you know, driving other cars most of the time. But there was the one scene where they had the white van, which reminded me of the awesome white van chase that ends in Eleven. Mm-hmm. Uh, flipping the van. So that, uh, that was
2: and cool. Then, and then he's all like, did you see that? No, I didn't. No. <laughs> yeah, I
0: was totally blind, <laughs> Dustin. Didn't see that. <laughs> um, and then near the end, and we see it hinted at throughout the movie, but um, there at the end, they give info to the newspaper in order to expose the secret organization in an effort to to Put it to an end. So we saw that obviously at the end of season two, uh, with uh, being sent to Chicago. Here we see it the New York Times. Interestingly, I took I found and in, in, again trying to find a little fun facts and tidbits about the movie. I ran across a couple of quizzes about Firestarter, and. So I, I took them, and one of them said, what organization was the information given to to expose the organization? And so I clicked the New York Times, and I got the question wrong. Now, the quiz was based on the book. It said very clearly, Firestarter, the book. And so I guess in the book, the information was given to, I believe, Rolling Stone magazine, Hmm. because they were specifically looking for an organization that was popular, would get the information out to the masses, and was unbiased. And in the movie, they changed that to uh, the New York Times.
2: I wonder why they did that. Maybe the New York Times paid to be in the
0: movie. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. And then another thing that I put in here, as far as comparisons or tie-ins, that Eleven and her mom were both experiments. And in this movie, obviously, Charlie and her mom were both experiments, and her dad, too. So we don't really know anything about Eleven's dad, do we?
2: I thought it was like that one dude that was in the apartment building. She almost killed him, but decided not to. thought that was her dad.
0: I don't think that was her dad. I think he was just one of the scientists.
2: Oh. I don't know then. Yeah. It's Hopper
0: yeah it is now so who knows uh, maybe i'm drawing a blank on who her dad is i don't think we've got that information but it might be interesting uh if he ends up having been experimented on as well but at least the mom and the child uh are, are connections for sure eddie what about you i know you i know you observed a lot of these things too but there was at least one other thing that you had on your list that i didn't
2: they went to the cabin they both went to a cabin
0: All right, then. I thought you were going to say more.
2: Kid with Fall Over Figure at Cabin.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) How to make sci-fi movie or TV (laughs) show.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you picked up on that. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, my gosh, you're so right. All right. Any other uh, connections between the films that either of you want to mention?
2: They both take place in the 80s. They're both sci-fi. Yep. That's about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's move into listener feedback. All right, well, let's get into listener feedback. We got some Facebook contributions. As always, I give a shout out over there and I say, hey, tomorrow we're recording an episode about Firestarter from 1984. What are your favorite moments and memories of the film? So Jeff chimed in, and this is what uh, Beth was alluding to earlier. He says, I know it was casting against race, but I love George C. Scott in most things. And he did a great job capturing John Rainbird. Drew's portrayal of the powers was good. David Keith did a good job as well. And then Daryl Washington followed up with a comment to Jeff saying, it also features a young Heather Locklear.
3: And then uh, Mara Butler, she says, um, "I loved her completely unleashing her powers at the end. Sad for her losing all of her family by the end of the movie. The score by Tangerine Dream was well done." And then answering back on some of those, it's, uh, Mara Butler says, "By the way, has anybody seen the Sci-Fi Channel sequel?" Uh, Daryl Washington says, "I have." Uh, Mara says back, "Daryl Washington." What did you think about it? And Daryl says, I liked it. Haven't seen it in a while, but I did like it. Mara answers back, I thought it was fairly decent myself. It was interesting to see Malcolm McDonald as Rainbird in that one. Daryl answers back and says, and with the scars from his last encounter with Charlie.
0: Oh, that's where I, okay. So I kind of spoiled that earlier. Sorry about that, Daryl. But uh, yeah, interesting stuff.
2: Yes. And then Mara Butler says, there seems to be a strong line from Firestarter to Stranger Things. I didn't notice any um, similarities <laughs> at all, so I don't know where she got that from.
0: But Right. All right. That's our Facebook feedback. We did get an audio feedback as well.
1: Because I reminded you. You're welcome.
0: You did. Thank you. Here it is.
1: Hey, Daryl and Addie. I just finished listening to your podcast. I discovered it a couple months ago and I've slowly been working my way through the episode, so I've actually been listening backwards. So I just finished your intro episode. It was really fun to listen that way because I got to slowly discover where some of your inside jokes came from, like the Papa potato joke and Addie eventually saying the Facebook group URL at a normal understandable speed. But one of the funniest comments to hear at this point was early in season one when you said, we may come to sympathize with the Demogorgon or Dr. Brenner, but still hate Steve. Oh, how the tables have turned. Through listening to your podcast, it felt like I was being invited into your family, and it brought me a lot of joy. I like your dynamic and how you interact, and that you can bond over nerdy stuff like Stranger Things. I'm excited for the next episode now that I'm all caught up. And I look forward to what other movies you'll be reporting on and season three later this year. Keep up the great work.
0: Awesome. Thank you. I liked that. <laughs> yeah. It's it's fun because we, Eddie, we throw out these inside jokes and sometimes people catch on and sometimes people don't because some of them, we have this sense of humor that not everybody has, right? And so it's nice to, it, honestly, it's nice to hear when somebody actually gets one of, our, one of my jokes. I won't speak for Eddie, but... Uh, I'm glad you like everyone
2: it. always gets my jokes. This well, is why I have so many friends, like all both of my friends love me
0: <laughs> and you you mentioned the uh the Facebook thing. Beth had a great idea this month, and that is, Addie, you do your Facebook thing the the normal way, but then we're gonna give it over to Beth. she's going to put her own spin on it. is that is that are you still up for that, Beth? Oh yeah, okay. All right. This should be fun. I think that was a great segue into how you can get in touch with us. Next month, we are talking about The Thing, the the John Carpenter movie. So if you want to be a co-host with us next month for The Thing, uh, give us a shout either on our Facebook page or the other methods that uh, Addy's about to uh, give you. And then, of course, if you have thoughts and feedback on the movie or anything Stranger Things related, we'd love to hear that as well. So, Addie, tell us. Tell them, uh, tell us all how that can happen at this time, right now.
2: Today? Today. Okay. Um, Go for
4: it.
0: <laughs> Stop it.
2: <laughs> so you can um, leave a voicemail at 304-837-2278 or our feedback page, which is goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. You should um, put the link in there so I don't have to like actually memorize it.
0: Because memorizing it's hard.
2: Yeah, I know. Jeez, yeah. thank you for understanding. Um, our Instagram is Stranger Things GSM. Our Twitter is Upside Down GSM, <clears throat> and our Facebook is
3: wwwfacebookcom strangerthingsgsm
0: Wow, Beth, you got a you got a version of that lay on us.
3: Well, since I didn't understand what she said. I'm thinking. Let's read that really slowly. <laughs> it's www.facebook.com slash groups slash Stranger Things G S M.
0: Oh, that's great! I didn't
2: understand any of that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, honestly. <laughs> It's a miracle that people actually join our Facebook group. <laughs> we get them pretty regularly, almost every day. Uh, a few times a week is probably a better accurate way to, to say it. Uh, and it's a miracle. Every time someone joins it, I'm like, how do they understand what Addie is saying? So at first I tried to discourage it. Then it became a shtick that people seem to enjoy. So I just roll with it. But uh, I'm thankful that we have Beth here this week. So there's no doubt. What's <laughs> the... Uh, I make it harder to
2: join the group because you have to be dedicated to join the group. Right. right. If you don't have that dedication, then sorry, you can't can't (laughs) join.
0: Well, I mentioned at the top of the show that now that we have the date for season three, the premiere date for season three, we can figure out what our schedule is going to look like for the remainder of the off season. So next month for the month of February, we are going to be doing the thing, John Carpenter, as I mentioned a moment ago, for the month of March. We're going to be looking at Poltergeist. Yay! Yeah, I really that. They mentioned that in Stranger Things. Hmm, almost like it ties in somehow. And then April will be our final movie. We're going to be looking at Jaws. And then in May, uh, by popular demand, we are going to be looking at Music. And Stranger Things. And this will be, we'll, we'll look at it from two different perspectives. One is the soundtrack, that score that you're hearing in the background while the show is, uh, you know, the episodes are playing or whatever. And then the other is the music that they're choosing to put, those pop songs and stuff like that that they're putting in. We've had a few people say they want to be a part of this episode, but what I would like to ask is, Whether you've mentioned it to me before, I just want to make sure I have everybody kind of on board for this. So if you're interested in being a part of that episode, even if you've told me before, please message us again uh, through all the stuff that Addie just said, the Facebook group, Twitter, call us, email us, whatever. To let me know. That's going to be our May episode, Music and Stranger Things. And then we're getting, for June, we're getting really close to getting back into the show. So we're going to have two episodes in June. We'll do one in the first half of the month, which is a season one roundtable discussion. So again, we're looking for multiple listeners to be a part of this one as well. And so if you're interested in being on a roundtable discussion about season one, uh, let us know, and then the back half of the month, we will do a season two roundtable where we take a look at uh, all the season two stuff again, looking for multiple people to join us for that one as well and If you want to join us for both of them that 's fine if you 've already joined us for an episode in the past, like Beth is doing right now, you can join us again. No big deal so if you 're interested in joining us for any of those three episodes, the music or either of the round tables, give us a shout out once again. The Thing in February, Poltergeist in March, April is Jaws. And we need hosts, co hosts for all of those as well. Lots of opportunities to join us here before season three. We should do a starts. The
2: Office podcast.
0: <laughs> You'd like that, huh? Mm-hmm. That's what she said. All right. <laughs> and then, of course, July 4th, 2019, Stranger Things season three premieres. And we will be back with our weekly podcast once that kicks off. Beth, it's been really cool having you on uh, the the episode this month. Thank you for joining us.
3: Oh, this was so much fun, you guys. I really appreciate you kind of giving uh, your listeners a chance to join in and be a part of it. And it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And you guys are so awesome. Oh, thanks. Thank you.
0: Addie's definitely awesome. I try to get a little more awesome every day, but I struggle. So.
3: Yeah. We, <laughs> it's we my know.
0: lot in life. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for tuning into this episode and joining us for our discussion of Firestarter. Looking forward to talking about The Thing next month. And until then...
2: Stay strange. <laughs>